0: To tracks presented by Brian's Vinyl Records. I'm Brian. I'm Jane. And today we're talking about Motley Crue's Generation Swine album as part of our three part series on the death, resurrection, and reformation of Motley Crue. Released in 1997 on Elektra Records, this album marked the return of Vince Neal to the band and also the last album with Tommy Lee until 2008's Saints of Los Angeles. Tommy would find himself at odds with Vince very often and also in a lot of legal trouble following this album and tour after this album motley Crue would get the rights to their master tapes from electra and be dropped from the 25 million dollar deal that they had signed just five years earlier generation swine charted at number four on the billboard 200 selling eighty thousand five hundred copies in its first week it was certified gold in august of 1997 but according to Nielsen SoundScan, the album sold just 306,000 copies in the US to date. Jay, what are your memories of Generation Swine?
1: I am one of those 300 plus thousand um, copies. 1997, let's see. Um, I'm in college at this point, in between bands and things, but I'm definitely back in the rock phase. And at this point, I was aware that Vince Neil had gotten back with Motley Crue. That's kind of all I knew, you know. And I saw Motley Crue's got a new album. It's called Generation Swine. I hadn't heard a song off of it. Didn't know anything. Total blind buy. Bought the cassette. Didn't buy the CD. So that tells you sort of what, because the, the cassette was <laughs> cheaper at the time. So oh, yeah. bought the cassette, threw it in my, my tape deck, and Brian, I... I think I maybe listened to it all the way through once uh, before doing it for this review. I've only heard this <laughs> album once. I remember nothing about it other than I thought this is horrible. Um, I hate everything about this. And um, I think I actually like gave the tape away or chucked it or something. I don't have it anymore uh, because I do not hold high regards for Generation Swine. And, all I could remember thinking to myself was, hey, they should have kept the other guy if this is all they were going to do, bring events
0: back. Let me tell you where I was at. When this came out, it would have been my first year at Mankato State in college, Minnesota State Mankato now. And prior to that, I was in high school. I was good friends with my buddy James. And as I mentioned on the previous episode, we absolutely loved the Karabi album and the All Things Motley Crue Karabi. We were 100% game for that. We would literally scour the magazines at the time because that's how you got your information and scour everything we could to find out any updates on the new Motley Crue record, which at the time was being called Personality Number 9. So there were tidbits coming out all this time, two years in the making, right? This album, we're writing songs, it's going to be great, Karabi is here, blah, blah, blah. And I remember the day when we found out that Vince Neil was coming back We both literally almost cried. (laughs) We were so upset with this news because we loved that 1994 record so much and the Coordinary EP that they put out with it so much that hearing that they were going to drop the guy we we were really involved with and bring back the old guy kind of was a slap in our face it felt like anyway now of course all the other motley crew fans were like hell yes let's bring vince back right and i understand that for sure but we loved that album so much that hearing that they weren't even going to follow it up was just so painful at the time so here we are fast forward and this album comes out i believe came out sometime in like april or may of 1997. so i'm at minnesota state mankato it is My first year, and they're touring this record. Now, mind you, I had heard "Afraid," the lead single off this album, and I actually kind of dug it. And I actually bought the album, and we'll get into it. But I remember they came to Mankato to play a show, so they were back to doing, uh, you know, arenas and whatnot. But smaller ones. So Mankato's got a small hockey arena, much smaller than what you'd have in your normal big town. And they played there and not at the Target Center. That should tell you one thing about the size of this tour. And the bill was Motley Crue and Cheap Trick. And there was a sign hanging up in the commons area that they were looking for people to come down and help set up the stage for the Motley Crue show. And you would get paid X number of dollars or whatever to come help set the stage up and then come back and tear it down. So I did that. It was really cool. You know, I got to see how they put the stage together. I got to help with the rigging and the lighting and all that and putting things up and, you know, setting the different uh, pieces of the stage up and all that stuff. And meanwhile, we're sitting there and we're just getting the whole stage together. The drum set has been uh, loaded in for uh, Tommy. And here he comes out from the back. You know, comes out, got his drumsticks, starts wailing on his drums, just sitting there. And we're all like, holy shit, it's Tommy Lee. So this is right at the time that, you know, his and Pamela's tape came out. (laughs) (laughs) And so people were crowded around him and I went up and I said, Hey man, love your, love your drumming. Uh, Really uh, excited, uh, you know, for you guys. I was really hoping Karabi would still be around. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks man. Whatever. And so I said my hellos. And then I went off to the side of the stage where I was working and looked down in the pit And there's Mick Mars. Oh, wow. (laughs) Just tuning his guitars and and tweaking his uh, effects boards. And he looked up at me and I'd never been more scared in my entire life. That (laughs) dude looks like the (laughs) devil incarnate. I swear to God, scary motherfucker to look at. And I was just like, wow. I didn't say anything to him because I was scared out of my mind. And I walked away. And, of course, we get the stage set up, and they tell us, unless you have bought a ticket, you're not allowed to stay here anymore. You need to go. Like, what the hell? So they kick us out and tell us to come back at 1030. 1030 rolls around. I'm backstage behind everything, and I'm sitting there in awe. I'm staring at Cheap Trick's whole setup, right, because they were the opening band. They got all their road cases out there. All their guitars are still out, and I'm just like, you know, just in awe looking at all this stuff. And they finally call us over and say, all right, the show is about to end. We get to hear the last part of Girls, Girls, Girls. And then it's over. And here comes Vince, first one out. He takes and puts on a fur coat, big lawn fur coat, walks down the ramp, walks straight out the back to a waiting limo and is gone. Wow. Gone. (laughs) The other guys come out. They're like slapping, high-fiving, you know, whatever. And they go all together back to a dressing room. So the rest of the band is all together into the dressing room, and Vince Neil has hightailed his ass out of that <laughs> arena to go. That's how this band was at the time of this making this album. So that sets the stage. So that's my memory of this album.
1: Man, That's awesome, though, that you get to be a part of that and see that, because I the last thing I wanted to do after hearing this was to see Motley Crue do anything. <laughs> and the funny thing is, man, like this was when I was watching a lot of like a war shows and stuff. I was all into that. And I remember they played the, the AMAs and like, I think friggin Sinbad brought them out there and Pamela Anderson got out there with her weird self. And I don't know, this goofy looking outfit she had on wasn't revealing so much as it was. She looked like something out of like Alice in Wonderland. Anyway, <laughs> she introduced them and they came out and they played shout at the devil, uh, which we were going to talk about and i i remember thinking to myself now if it had just sounded like that on the that dumb album i might have liked it <laughs> mm-hmm. because it, it was actually a really good performance you can find it on youtube i dug it up today and i was like okay yeah that got me back into the idea that like ah motley Cruz still has good songs just, there's not any of them on this record. But the, you know, and and you know, man, you talk about new tattoo. I remember when that came around. I don't think we're ever gonna review that one here. I got nothing really to say about it. Um, Randy is a great drummer, he's not Tommy Lee, doesn't really fit motley crew, it's kinda yeah. But but I understand Nikki Six feels like that's Doctor feel good part two, and he is so freaking wrong Ooh, about that. Yeah. Because I'll I'll say now, if we ever get around to it or not saints of Los Angeles is, is I'm so glad they stopped at that because that's a really good record. And it's almost worth it. Having lived through this to get that 11 years later, (laughs) but I'm not surprised that that's the band dynamic that the events is there really is. I mean, the record company had a lot of influence in doing that, right? Like there were people pressuring them, but they fought back and Karabi was going to stay. And then they fired Bob rock and they brought in these other producers and, something went haywire along the way and all of a sudden vince is back in like I, I don't know how that happened i just i've always felt like that was a lot of corporate influence that made that that happen
0: well here's here's the thing and let's talk a little bit about what happened here and then i'll, I'll discuss that piece of it but i want to mention this all here first so after the 94 album was a commercial failure right mm. Electra was upset that they paid them $25 million and this is what they're getting out of it. Now, yeah. Electra didn't take any of the blame here, right? Even of course though not. they cut off all the funding to help them with the tour and whatnot, yeah. whatever. But either way, after that, Motley Crue fired their longtime manager, Doug Thaler. So if mm. you watch The Dirt, you'll know that they introduced Doug Thaler for a brief second and talk about how he had to be cut from the movie. Yeah, they cut Remember him out. Remember that scene? Yeah. yeah, they cut him out. <laughs> so anyway, Doug Thaler was their longtime manager and they fired him. They fired Bob Rock and decided that Nikki and Tommy can do this themselves. They can they can produce this album, right? Oh. And if you ever you know hear Karabi talk about this whole period, it was a two almost two years it took him to 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 make this album. He said it was just a biggest massive mistake to fire Bob Rock because Bob Rock was the one guy who could tell Nikki when it was time to be done with the song. when the song was needed no more stuff and the guy they brought in was scott humphrey and scott humphrey was the mixing engineer for them on the previous album Hmm. not a producer at the time now he's gone on to produce things afterward and since then but he had little power in this band to tell them when things were done and when to stop and when it was good enough right
1: Right. And and that's not a that's not an odd career progression. I mean, that happens. A lot of these guys start out as, you know, they're production assistants, they're recording engineers, they're mixers, and then they work themselves up to producers. But it's different to be put in that spot as to where somebody like Bob Rock, who had kind of earned his stripes in that spot mm-hmm. doing the cult and you know, other things like that where people trusted his opinion. Now this guy is there to basically just turn the switches and knobs the way we want.
0: Well, and he's going to have a lot of say in some things here. Now, one of the things that comes up every time you hear about Scott Humphrey is the fact that Mick Mars vocally accuses him of treating him like crap and degrading him so much to the point where he thought he was the worst guitar player in the world. Wow. Yeah, he thought he was no use to this band anymore because of the way he thought he was treated by Scott Humphrey. Scott Humphrey denies this. Scott Humphrey says, "I was the biggest Mick Mars fan, and I kept telling the boys that they needed to make a real Motley Crue record instead of what we made." And wow. so, who you believe? Who knows? But I do know that Vince has stated also that that Humphrey didn't really know what he was doing, wouldn't let Mick play guitar the way Mick plays guitar, and that's why the album sucks. <sighs>
1: <laughs> That's easy to always say on the back end that it's, well, it's that guy's fault. He screwed us all up. I, my my understanding of it is that, well, they probably brought this guy in, and they didn't really listen to what he had to say. And then when it all went south, they're like, well, it's this motherfucker's fault over here because he wouldn't let us do anything. <laughs> it's, it's like if you go and uh, do it, I'll, I'll continue my restaurant motif. You go into a TGI Friday's. And you expect to get some Wangu beef or something, and then you get mad at the shelf when <laughs> what's brought to you is what it is. That's your fault, man. Like at some point, <laughs> that, that's on you for not paying attention to what was going on. And I, I just, I find that hard to believe. I really do, man. Like I, I think Nikki and Tommy ran over this dude in the studio and tried to push it their way. And oh yeah, it, absolutely. It, and it, it didn't work because truth is. You can have a vision as an artist, um, and and I mean I think that's good. I actually think it's good when artists have input in their career, particularly as they're you know they're getting into it and they've been around for so long. But you still need someone there to kind of keep you within the lane. You oh know, yeah. Somebody there to help you shape it all together. And I mean, goodness gracious, look at the Beatles for goodness sakes. You know, I mean they they had a producer that kept them going, you know, George Martin, and that that's not a small contribution. You know, the producer is another member of the band in a lot of ways. And in Bob Brock's case, it was literal a few times in his life.
0: Well, in uh, this he, case it was too. Scott Humphrey yeah. did a lot of the work on here. And yes, he did.
1: Yes, yes, he did. You can tell. Um, because, and there's several times, and I'll ask this as we go through the songs here, track by track, as we do, um, is this Mick? Because it doesn't sound like Mick. I, mm. I think Humphrey's just playing a lot of this stuff, but we, we'll get to that. Uh, but again, you've got a guy who's inexperienced and in that, role and two very strong personalities pushing against him coupled with the fact that the guy who has to get out there and sell it, the front man is, was not part of this when it was put together. And, and he doesn't get a lot of credit for it, but Krabi states and nobody really defeats it. He wrote about 80% of this stuff. And mm-hmm. you kind of tell Vince is trying to do somebody else's tunes and he doesn't know how to do it. And he, it's not working for him and they may have spent 2 years on it man it feels like they threw it together in 6 weeks like it feels so unfinished and uh, i don't know this it's going to be weird to get into
0: yeah but let, before we do let's get into the how how Vince came back here Yeah. so we spent like i said a good you know at least year maybe year and a half before that writing this album so the vast majority of this album was written before Vince came back to the band yeah electra was not the head of Electra was not really enjoying what he was hearing Mm -hmm. Uh, rightfully so, but he was also upset with the fact that the old or the new guy wasn't Vince Neal. And so a kind of coup happened with the record label and the management of Motley Crue Hmm. and Alan Kovac was the new manager of Motley Crue and on the side behind their backs, he was talking to the label, and also talking to Vince, trying to convince Vince to come back to the band before even talking with the band themselves. Mm -hmm. When it was brought up finally to the band that Vince might be interested in coming back to the band, they said, hell no. This is our guy. (laughs) We don't want Vince back. And then pressure and pressure and pressure, they finally caved in and decided to go ahead and bring Vince back. Now, Karabi will tell you that he sat there... Watching this whole thing just go to hell, he said. The first record that they put together was a blast. They had a great time putting it together. He said, "Now turn that around and make it the exact opposite." That was the second record. Wow. They had they was it was awful. He said they couldn't do anything. He kept being told to sing like this or sing like that or sing like this, and then one guy would tell him, "Sing like a you know this guy. That's too bluesy." He goes, "I'm a goddamn blues singer. That's right. what I do, right?" And they would tell him different things and he goes that's what bob rock brought to this process because bob rock would tell you do it like this and if you didn't get it he would show it to you and then you'd be like oh yeah okay i can do that they didn't know how to do that to him so tommy would tell him to sing it like this band and nicky would tell him to sing it like this band and he wouldn't know what the hell he was supposed to do <laughs> and he said it was just so de- degrading yeah. to be in this process this whole time so that when they finally came to him and said that Vince Vince was coming back he was pissed yet relieved at the same time yeah. because he was able to walk out now karabi is such a stand up guy that not only did he leave the band but he came back to the studio and worked with Vince on all the parts showed him how to sing the parts how they should go, helped him learn everything about it, and also tracked guitars on this album. You mentioned Mick Mars mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be playing much. That's because he's not. Yeah. <laughs> because he was degraded so much in the making of this process that he didn't feel like he could contribute to this band at this point. And so he plays guitars, but a lot of it's been overdubbed by Karabi and Scott Humphreys as well.
1: Yeah, let, let's, let's talk about that for just a sec. Mick Mars, who is... As important to the sound of Motley Crue as any of these other guys mm-hmm. doesn't feel like he could contribute anything anymore. Now, part of that is, and Mick's health is well documented, he was really going downhill at this yeah. point and wasn't talking to anybody about it. So, part of that was his own private struggle. But you start beating that guy's brow down to the point that he doesn't feel like he can play anything anymore. That is ridiculous, man. It's horrible. <laughs> that, that, that's it's absolutely that would, horrible. That would have been like somebody going into Eddie Van Halen and going, I think you should just really work on the keyboards this time. And let <laughs> yeah, right? play guitar. Like, <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> yeah. It should also be noted, too, that when they let Karabi go, there was consideration to bring him on as a second guitarist in the band. Yeah. But they decided against that in the end. He was used as a second guitarist in the band for this album, but he right. wasn't asked to come on. Afterwards, so that's kind of where we set this up here. Now, Karabi, like you said, claims that he wrote eighty percent of this material. He sued the band in August of that same year for four million dollars because he didn't get any credit for the album other than two songs, "Flush" and "Let It Play," or "Let Us Pray." And he also says it was a breach of contract that they fired him the way they did. So I don't remember reading about if that lawsuit was successful, if they settled underneath, I'm guessing they probably settled settled. at some point, but yeah, just an interesting side note. So let's get into the album itself, because I think we're going to agree that a lot of these songs here probably would have been better with Karabi singing (laughs) because they really sound like they're made for his vocal style. It's
1: it's not only that, and I'm just going to say this off the top, this whole album is badly produced and oh, badly yeah. mixed, and, mm-hmm. that, and that bothers me too because I hate banging on guys that this is what they do for a living. But Humphreys was way in over his skis trying to mix this out, and it well, and sounds I like I,
0: bad. You know, I also think that th- he didn't stand up for what he thought was good in the mix and right. let Nikki and Tommy kind of work him over. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't want to put all the blame on Scott Humphreys in this mix here. I. I think a lot of it goes to. You know, it'd be like the Black Sabbath days when Dio left the band. Right? He'd come in to mix his vocals. The next day, he'd come back, and Geezer and Tommy or Tony would be in there mixing over him. And that—that's what I feel is is kind of happening here.
1: Yeah, I also feel like, uh, and this is weird because Nikki is a bass player, and there are a couple of songs where it shows out, but for some reason, these guys decided, let's do the Metallica and Justice for All thing and just cut the low end completely out of this record.
0: (laughs) I don't agree with you there. I think there's plenty of low end in this record, but it's distorted low end. It's made to sound like a guitar. It's
1: very A lot of times.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it's weird. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into the tracks. We've talked enough around it in the background here. Let's go head on in. We start the album off with a song called Find Myself, which features, I believe this is Nikki Six singing the main part and then Vince Mm -hmm. coming in at the kind of, I guess you would call it the chorus?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I don't know. But the main part is just, I need to find myself some drugs, you know, over and over again, things like that. This sounds like a song that was written with Karabi in mind. And then Vince comes in to sing it. But I think he does a good job on this one. I think this one fits his vocal range a little more. But the aggressiveness of the lyrics in this one totally screams something that Karabi would have helped with.
1: Who is this kid yelling in the background?
0: (laughs) That's uh, Gunner uh, Six.
1: Okay, well, Mm -hmm. that's awful. Um, And (laughs) where are all these jangly guitars coming from? That doesn't sound like Mick. That doesn't even sound like John Karabi. That sounds like you got... Scott Johnson uh, from uh, the the Jim Blossoms to come in and play this stuff. It's a very different sound. And I, I made note of that immediately. I'm like, you know, I'm all for experimentation, but that's not what Mick plays like at all. And it it is alarming because it doesn't fit. Like, I feel like if you had a good a heavy guitar piece on this, it would fit the motif coming out of Motley Crue, the, the Motley Crue album again with Karabi stuff, but you've got this jangly guitar with this again, this aggressive vocal thing. And then you've got the laziest Tommy Lee drumming I've heard in a long time. I mean it is flat boring on this song. This song is boring as hell.
0: Yeah, and it well, I don't mind this song. I actually kinda like this song a little bit and But you're right on Tommy Lee, and I think you're going to see this throughout this whole album, is Tommy doesn't sound like he's inspired. The last record he came out and he was just, you could tell he was completely into it. It doesn't feel like he was all that into it in this album, and he's just kind of doing your basic drumming instead of being Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee's known to do really funky, cool stuff on the kit in places you never think you'd have something like that go on. And in this one, it just seems like he's playing four, four time, just straight beat. And it's like, ah, yeah, there's a couple of tunes where I, where I feel like he's interested, but this ain't
1: one of them, man. And, and Mm -hmm. this is a, this is an omen. I'm like, okay, when the record starts badly, (laughs) okay, now, now you've got to try to pull it out of this nosedive from the beginning. It's like starting a game and you get down two scores in the first quarter and you're like, okay, well, this isn't ideal. So so now what are we going to do?
0: I will say that uh, on hearing this song, it didn't turn me off to the album yet. So I, I didn't mind this song. It's not one of my favorites, but I don't hate it. I think there's some salvageable stuff here, and I really like Vince's work in this one. I think he does a good job with this vocal track. I would have preferred that he did a little more of the vocals and a little less of the other portions of it, but Mm. it is what it is. We get to the lead single off this album in track two, and that's Afraid. This was released, uh, I believe, a couple months before the album came out, and it was a way big departure from anything Motley Crue has ever done in the past. And we're talking, they just went from a strong departure from anything on the last album. This is even further departure, Mm -hmm. but I do got to admit, I actually really like this song. I I think it's a great song. I think it was the right choice of all the songs on this album to be the single. And I don't hate this at all. I think, and I think to this day, it's one of the only songs on this album that they actually will play live.
1: See, I disagree. I hate this song, and I want to tell you, <laughs> I want to tell you why. It, it's more Molly Crew leaning into this alternative groove thing, which I'm okay mm-hmm. with. I was totally bored with it. but they're doing it lazily. Uh, I mean, this is this is the second time now I've written like the guitars here are so different. Are we sure this is Mick? Probably mm, not. Probably not. The mix is awful. It is tinny as hell. It has got too many mids pushed in it. Too much treble. And like you say, the low end is is the distorted low end. So it's just pulling out the mids and the treble in it. It's just so it sounds like a tin can. Like it and I listened to this like, like three different sets of headphones and they all sounded bad. And I remember at the time going like, eh. And the the thing is though, the song's actually good. Like I like the song, like the pieces of it. I just think it's put together well. It's like all the ingredients are there, they just didn't quite congeal. And <laughs> I I don't know, man. Like I, it's over for two for me on the record and I, I don't dig it. And I, I think there's, there's something here with this song though. And I'm like, man, if Bob rock had produced that, even with Vince on vocals, I think it would work better. I think it would totally work better. There's just something about the way this is all put together. It doesn't sound right. And I don't know. It it just misses for me. I, I'm not, not a fan of this one.
0: I, I think that it could use a remix for sure. And I wish that when they did the remasters edition in uh, I believe it was two thousand and three, they yeah. would have done that. But they didn't. And even when they put the Greatest Hits album out, I believe what that was two thousand and six or something. Yeah. They could have done it there, and they didn't do it there either. So, I don't know. I like this song, though. I, this is one song I, I, off this album I actually will enjoy when it comes on. So, to me, they're one and one and a half for two. Uh, I don't <laughs> mind the first song, and I, I really like Afraid. We get to song number three, a song called Flush. Another song that has karabi all over it to me. Yes. This this, this sounds like everything karate. And really, the only part I hated this about this song is that really shitty guitar solo. That I don't even know if you can call it a guitar solo. It's just so boring and so out of place. But otherwise, I like the heaviness of this song. I like the content of the lyrics of this song. I think it's actually a really well done song with just a real they they really that can't be Mick playing that guitar. That's just awful.
1: Well, I actually wrote this is my first track on the record where I'm like, okay, finally a decent song. And it's actually well put together. I like this song. I, I think this is a good one. You could tell this was not written for Vince's voice. But oh, you know yeah. what? He's given it he's given it all he's got. And and it's not bad. It's it's okay. I can just only imagine what John Karabi would sound like singing this. Oh yeah. Um and I'll go ahead and spoil it now. This is the best song on the record for me. Like I love, I don't love this. I like this song because I feel like it's got a lot going on with the same exception you just had. What is Mick even doing? And, and the answer to that is not playing on the song. Cause it is so, yeah. it is so boring, but it's actually good drumming from Tommy Lee. I feel like he's interested in this song and there's stuff to this. There's good lyrics. It, it again, written with a different guy in mind a different sensibility but i still think they pull it off okay except mm-hmm. for the guitar part but everything else yep. i like flush I-, I think flush is good
0: yeah i agree i to me this just screams karabi singing and uh, i do like what vince did he i think he did okay and mm-hmm. but i this i agree this is probably my favorite song on the album as well it's just a really really good one yeah. we get to the title track on the album generation swine and this is the first time i'm saying hey mick is here Right. Yeah. Because he, he that's his signature guitar sound coming out of this song here. It's not the best song in the world, but that's that's Mick Mars playing and you can tell and it sounds good and it's heavy. You know, it's it's an OK tune, but it's nice to hear Mick. It's it's the requisite Motley Crue explores their punk roots. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Again, they
1: do this every record and, and that's fine. And, and for this record, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's fine. It doesn't last too long, which is the smart part of this. I don't think the lyrics are that great. I think Vince does sing pretty good on it. It's a badly mixed tune though. It's noisy and it's thin, but at least it is Mick. And I'll, I'll agree with you there. It's mixed guitar. You can tell. And you, you've got the the Motley Crue punkish backbeat going with it. So so for me, you know, two duds and then uh, or two two misfires, then one that I liked and now I'm like, okay, not the worst song, I wouldn't skip it. I, Generation Swine's okay. I don't I don't really get what we're trying to say here because if, if if Dr. Feelgood was about all the drugs that nearly killed us and all the women that nearly killed us. And if Motley Crue was about reflections on life and going down some darker roads and stuff like that. I don't know what this record's supposed to be about other than sex, drugs it's and rock respect, and roll, but drugs
0: and sex. Yes.
1: Yeah. But, but kind of from a pissed off angle, you know, not an enjoying <laughs> an angle like girls, girls, girls was or something, you know, I I don't know.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Up good. next we have <laughs> confessions. This is a song lyrically written by the drummer, Tommy Lee. Hmm again a very bluesy vocal on this song and in a low register that for vince seems like it was a struggle to get to that lower tone on here right it's not a bad song but i think it would have sounded better if it had guitars as more of a focal point in the song instead it sounds very electronic and dull
1: it's it's the softer side of something (laughs) <laughs> you know, and and these guys talk about like Cheap Trick had a lot of influence over the first part of this record. I think they'll even sing on a, on an upcoming tune here in a little bit. This doesn't even sound like a good Cheap Trick song, though. Uh, it's not an outright bad song. I just wrote that like it just lacks a punch. Yeah, like it just doesn't have like if they a, would have a used thumb.
0: guitars. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it, it's too more.
1: it's too bland. You know, if that makes sense, it just feels bland, and I I don't know. It's it's a bland song. Um, And I'm starting to realize that like, this is what you get when you've got guys in control of the record who don't have anyone to really corral them anymore. And it's just all these ideas just running wild and going every
0: which way, but loose man. And
1: not all of it's working.
0: Exactly. Up next, Tommy shines again, this time with a vocal track. On a song called Beauty. This is all about heroin, if I'm not mistaken here. Black tar heroin. <laughs> but um, to me, I, I know we talked about this earlier. I think this is a highlight of the album. Even though Tommy is not the greatest singer in the world, I actually really dig the tune itself. I think it's a good tune. Definitely not a guitar driven song, but a fun song. And, you know, I think Tommy handles his own on this. I mean, it's boring guitars outside of the fuzzy ID lick,
1: which is straight up Motley Crue doing ZZ Top. So I give them credit for kind of being funky and doing something like that. I don't know how much of that's Mick, how much of that's somebody else playing. I, Mick would have been in the same vein of those dudes, so he, you know he kind of I, I could see him playing that. But there's nothing interesting about where it goes. It's just outside of that the main lick. It's just kind of as a guitar. But you know what? I'm with you. I don't hate it. <laughs> like at first I was like, oh no, it's Van Halen 3 again where somebody else is singing. They don't need to be. Then I'm like, well, you know what? It's actually not that awful though. It's 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 kind of okay. Like it's funky. It's weird. I'm I'm okay with doing different and weird. If it just wasn't so darn boring, Brian. Like that's the yeah. thing that's killing me is Molly Crew records are known for, if anything, all their fun guitar stuff, and there's none of it on this friggin' record. <laughs> it's boring as hell. And, and, oh, and it's, it just,
0: it's just going to get worse, this next song here. <laughs> it, it is. Oh, Glitter. <laughs> uh, my first note was, is Mick even on this track at all? Because no. I don't think he is. No. This is Electronica Music. It's one of my least favorite tracks. A complete departure from anything Motley Crue has ever done as a band. And this one features Cheap Trick's Robin Zander and Rick Nielsen on backing vocals here. Bet you Rick Nelson's playing the guitar part, what little of it there is, too. Hey, You know who else co-wrote this, though?
1: Brian Adams. Oh, yes. Now, now, just hear me out. I love Brian Adams. And when I found that out, I was like, you know what? If Brian Adams was doing this song, it would kick ass and it would work. Because he can pull this kind of stuff off. But Motley Crue, No it's Mm-mm. it's just off and and look i get it it's, it's a turn we don't see coming and you want to experiment cool but you have a you have a thing that you do really well why on earth would you not want to do that thing anymore? Like at, at all. Yeah. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's so, but this, this, I, I feel like is one of those that Mick wasn't even there. He probably doesn't even know this song. He, he, probably <laughs> even, you know, he didn't even realize it was on the record. I'm sure he doesn't care. I had nothing to do. Um, and I'll say this too, even vocally, Vince is trying, God bless him, he is trying to see put this over, and even he has got to be like, guys, this is garbage. <laughs> like oh, This yeah. is so bad. I'm glad we're getting to hang out with our buddies from Jeep Trick, but eh, it's it's just a drag. And man... Like I, I, it's always funny these bands that decide to go like electronic all of a sudden like you two did that and and I have a lot of hate for you two and a lot of what they've done but when they did that pop record I was like what are you guys even smoking at this point man? Like, just <laughs> just play your songs like this uh, it's what happens when you get too big and too successful and you think you know better than everybody else and you're just friggin wrong and that that's the problem here is there is again there's nobody telling them otherwise and this is a song that would have been much better on somebody else's album. And everybody can be like, yeah, oh, Motley Crue wrote this song. Can you believe that? Uh, that would have been funny rather than, can you believe Motley Crue cut that song?
0: Yeah, th- this is awful. And Trash. Probably my... Second least favorite song on this album. <laughs> I had to qualify myself there because that, we ain't man? even got to that. <laughs> we ain't there yet. <laughs> up next, we have the song, Is Anybody Out There? This is a straight-up punk rock song, and it's oh, yeah. meant to be like straight in your face. I didn't mind this one, at all, especially since it's only a minute and 50 seconds. I don't like it. I don't hate it. It's just there. It's completely there to give Vince a punk rock song to sing. I,
1: I mean, again, it's... it's uh, l- it's a Ramones track out of nowhere. It's that punk. Li- I actually wrote, I was like, is anybody even listening to this album anymore at this point? And probably not. Cause I, I can tell you, man, like I remember going, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get through this. I eventually got through listening to that one time through back in 97, but it was not, it's not because I really wanted to. <laughs> and uh, the the best thing about this song is it doesn't last long. I can say that about it. That's true. <laughs>
0: Up next, we have Let Us Pray. This is the one that is credited as a co-write for John Karabi on this one. Uh, This has his vocal style all over it, and Vince is completely struggling to do this one. It is hard to listen to him do this one because he is stretching everything he's got in his voice to try and get that sound. And I don't know if you've seen or or heard the demo with Karabi actually singing this song at Mm. all. So much better, and but it's still not a great track. I I think the riff on this one is just really lame. It, you know what, man? It's guitars that sound
1: like something a bunch of new metal acts would do. Mm-hmm. Like it's very corn, Limp Biscuit. Yes. All of that kind of feel. And this is the last time I'm going to say this in, in these things. There's another one coming up here with that too. Um, but it definitely feels like something from the self-titled record. It's super heavy, noisy, industrial rock, Nine Inch Nails stuff. I will say this, though. It's probably Tommy's best drumming on the record. I mean, it's really, it, it's really good on this one.
0: And I think this is probably Mick and Tommy's favorite track on this record because mm-hmm. they wrote it and recorded it with Karabi and then just overdubbed Vince's vocals on it. So, <laughs> you know, I, I can totally see that. You know, I feel bad yeah. for Vince in this song because he just... He just tries to sing like Karabi. The one thing the band didn't do him any justice for was try to change the arrangements or you know, change the tunings of the songs to get it more into Vince's range. They didn't do that. They just said, this is how we wrote it. You're going to sing it this way. And it just didn't fit him at all. And here's an interesting piece too. Is it just me, or do you hear John Karabi singing that chorus? Especially in the, let it
1: play. Yeah, no, I totally much, hear Karabi yeah. there.
0: And I know he's credited with some backing vocals yeah, in, in, in this. this. I, that yeah. to me, he's covering for Vince on this one, and they're using his track there at that point. Yeah,
1: but again, and, and that's the thing It's like it's a half of a good song
0: mm-hmm. for lots of reasons.
1: The guitars are wrong, the vocals are bad. Otherwise, it's okay. I mean, it kind of works as a as a song, but it's just not put together well. It's not complete. Yeah,
0: I would say that is on, exactly only
1: to be topped it. by what happens next.
0: Ah, Rocket Ship. Nikki, Nikki, Nikki. A vocalist, you are not, sir. I am sorry. But I want to point one thing out here. Notice the difference between the 1994 crew acoustic guitars and the acoustic guitars you hear on this album. This is what Bob Rock brings to the table. He made acoustics shine. And here, they are not shining. They just sound like they're there. And it's Awful because the guitar is the main focal point of this song with those awful synth noises in the background and strings and whatever else they put on there. Sounds like a
1: direct in with no effects on it at all. Nikki's got the acoustic feels I wrote. And then I just wrote like a bunch of Zs because this song is such a snooze. Thank goodness it's two minutes long. uh, Mm -hmm. because It felt
0: like it wasn't finished.
1: I get it. And it's like, this is my love letter to my you know love of my life woman or whatever and i'm like okay donna the erico sure okay whatever you know and it's just yeah well i mean it's more of a uh okay i guess i'm but i'm asking myself as i'm listening to this like these guys had to think about like playing this stuff live in front of people did they play this song because I can't oh, imagine people going for this at all. That is
0: an excellent question, and I would have to look it up to see. They did play quite a few songs off of this album, including yeah. the last one, which we'll get to, at their concerts, but I'm not sure if this one made the cut or not. I would hope not. Mm-hmm. I would hope not. It's bad. It it's is not bad. Good. up next is a rat like me so this to me seems like it's a song that was written to fit vince's voice and he yeah he doesn't even get most of the vocals in it like there's another someone else is singing half of this song and you're like Mm -hmm. who's singing this and why why aren't you letting your lead singer sing this song And the parts that Vince does sing, I thought was really good. It also seems like uh, Mick was actually allowed to play on this song as well, which is nice.
1: Well, I was going to ask, like, what is Mick even doing? Because this is some clanky stuff. But it's actually clanky vocals. Brian, this one one falls flat like me. A rat like me, it's more like a flat mix like me, is what I call (laughs) it. I was like, this is a boring mix of... A potentially interesting song trying to get kind of heavy again but doing it badly dude like i i feel mm-hmm. like this one just totally misses the mark um this is it's not one of the worst it, it's hard to say what's the worst song on this record no um, it's not but but it's not good uh, under any circumstances man this is not a
0: good song like, it am, is super easy to say what the heart worst song it is we'll get there Yeah, (laughs) yeah. there's nothing special about this song at all. I just think that this was the only song really on the album that Vince's voice was made for, other than... Well, yeah, even even that. So this is the only song I think that Vince was able to sing like Vince on.
1: Yeah, probably so.
0: Yeah. Up next, we have Shout at the Devil 97. Why? 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 Was this to fill a slot? Was it to make Vince feel welcome back? Did the song really... Need an update because it doesn't hold a candle to the original, if you ask me. I uh, did they do it because maybe they wanted Karabi to sing it on the next album to kind of say, Hey, look, our guy can sing our old stuff too. I'm not sure what the point of this was.
1: Well, they changed it and th- they did, this and, is and the, it's this terrible. This the thing. They, they added this nine inch nails corn Ugh. guitar thing on it, and they changed the chords too. The chords are the chord progression is different. Mick's playing it, and this is Mick. I mean, he's playing this. Um, what I would tell people to do is go look up that AMA performance of them doing this and you're like, oh that's what that was supposed to sound like and it is a slam inversion <laughs> of it. Well, And, and, the, and that's and the Tommy's- difference between
0: playing it live and then well, fixing and, and it I'll, in the studio
1: and i'll say like tommy is drumming it hard like they are trying to do something but in the end the way this one comes off it's a noisy pedestrian bad cover of one of your most iconic defining songs and it's completely and totally unnecessary
0: and what what's hard for me in this listening to it is that vince is struggling to sing this song he's absolutely struggling like he's not the singer he was in 1983 when they originally recorded this, his voice isn't that strong anymore, and it sounds like he's reaching for this. I don't know. maybe they, I, Did they tune their guitars down from the original version on this? I think they probably did. Uh, and I yeah. think that's why he's struggling to sing it as, as much as he it, is in this one.
1: It, it's also... 16 17 years of pretty hard living and it's caught up to Vince. <laughs> yeah. you know it's it's now I'll say again go, go listen to that 97 AMA performance and he's he's hitting most of it and yeah. they sound good behind him i mean it's it's a better version of that but I, it's still again a totally unnecessary thing to do because what are you saying in this is that You know, 16 years later, we're still shouting at the devil, and I'm like, man, in 1997, people were like, "eh, the devil's kind of passe, man." Like, (laughs) people people were not into this. Like when they when that song came out and that record came out, and that was that made a statement. Like that changed rock and roll and metal forever. This is, again, it's, oh, yeah, well, guess what? We can do all that scratchy shit, too, and see what it sounds like. It sounds like
0: ass. That's <laughs> <laughs> so bad. That's the problem. I do not like it at all. And I know there are a lot of people who really enjoy this version of the song. Nah, it's not nah, close to the first one, man. I nah. can't.
1: Lost all and now,
0: heart. Jay, we're going to close this album out with our, our standard ballad to end the uh, album. Only... Yeah. Wow, much, much worse You say it's hard to pick the worst song on this album Mm -mm. This is the worst song on this album Lyrically, it's garbage (laughs) Uh, It is some of the worst writing I've ever heard And I get it Tommy Lee was trying to write something to his little newborn child And be all lovey daddy thing But seriously, God, you wrote Without You One of the greatest ballads ever And this is what you come up with as a tribute to your son? It was just so awful I... (laughs) They play this on the tour. I can imagine how many people went to take a crap or fill their beer or take a whiz during this song. Oh, I couldn't imagine having to sit through it. I, I want to say
1: that I have appreciation for the fact that this is obviously written from a place of deep love for this kid, you know, from this guy. All right. Mm hmm. But it is a fucking hallmark card of a song. <laughs> and sounds like something you play at a confirmation or a bar mitzvah or a birthday or something like that. It is not, it is not under any circumstances, a song to set any tone to end the record with. It's so out of place from everything else on this. And again, there's no Mick. It's all these friggin' strings and... I'm just sitting there going, Tommy's like, man, we got to make it heavier and like ethereal and it's all about love, man. You can just hear him doing all this. And Nikki's over there just going, yeah, yeah, man. We're just going to be all about that. And somewhere Mick is like, what the fuck are you guys doing? I don't know. (laughs) know, And Vince is not even there. He's like, whatever, man, dude, I'm going to go over here. I don't don't care. This is, yeah, I agree with you, dude. The worst song on the record. Yeah, it is is so bad. and And... Maybe maybe it's a perfect way to end this record because it's it's awful. It started bad, then ended bad. It was bad in between.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at this album. There's 13 tracks on this album. One of them is a cover of their own song, updated, Badly I done. guess.
1: Badly done. I'm Three
0: bad. of them feature not Vince singing. Yeah. Another two feature other people singing more than Vince is singing. Wow! Welcome back to the band. We're gonna have other people sing shit on our album. But as you said, like he was barely there anyway. Like he was
1: jetting after the gig and getting in his own limo and doing yeah. his own thing. Like, well, he you didn't gotta to remember,
0: no, he he really didn't. The only yeah. reason he came back was because they, you know, convinced him that the band wanted him back in with them and that they could make a ton of money with each other. That's really the only reason. He had no intentions of ever coming back to Mont the Crew. There was some bad blood between that band after the whole incident with uh, Raz and the uh, the the killing uh, in the car yeah, and, Vince going, yeah. yep, and Vince yeah. going to jail and, you know, Nikki was in the middle of a huge drug problem and didn't even call or check up on him the whole time. There was bad blood between all of them at that point that really festered from the time of girls, girls, girls all the way through decade of decadence and to that led to the breakup. I mean, there was yeah. awful blood and they, to this day, They they call each other brothers, but they fight constantly. I you know when they tried to bring them back in two thousand and five or whatever it is after they had broken up completely after New Tattoo was a flop and Tommy had gone and done his own thing with Methods of Mayhem and everything else, uh, it took lawyers and suing and all this other stuff to really bring the band back together just for a tour. Uh, there's a great documentary on youtube about that if you are interested at all it is i think i've crazy. seen that like it's it all those meetings crazy. around the tables and stuff yeah. where
1: they, they just you can hear them just hating each other the whole time oh, it's, absolutely yeah no it's it's obvious they did not want to be in the same space together anymore and this mm-hmm. record feels like that so much more no than it me. does it's, it's why i i hold to my contention that this is the product of a lot of other people telling this band what they should be and what they should do. And again, you can hear it on this album and it's it's just poor, man. It's, it's uninspiring.
0: Poor. I think they yeah. none of them were inspired about this album. I think that we would have had a better product had John Karabi stayed in the band and Bob Rock been there to help guide the ship. Yeah. We would have all- had a much better product. Even with these same songs, I think they would have done a lot better job with it. Unfortunately, like you said, Mick was beaten down to a point where he didn't even think he was worth being in the band. That spinalitis that he has was really flaring up at the time. He was deep into a drug problem over that, and uh, he was just completely cut off from the rest of the band. And so it was a real bad thing. And he wouldn't get better until they brought them back in that 2005 time, to really, they caught him—you know—almost on the verge of death. Yeah, he was just beaten up. And if you ever go back, now we, we've covered all three of these albums. If you ever go back and li- read some of the interviews about this, this time period, Mick Mars will glowingly praise the Karabi album as his favorite of all time. He felt the most energized and he thought the songs were the best they ever done because they stepped out of their zone. Tommy Lee also loves the Krabi album because there was so much energy in that album. And I think that unfortunately with everything that went down, had Vince stayed in the band the whole time, I think we would have got a lot better Motley Crue albums out of them than what we've gotten since. Uh, Unfortunately, when they got re-energized and went in with Krabi, nobody took notice of it. And nobody gave them the props that they were looking for. And that demoralized them. And having to go tucked with their tail between their legs to bring Vince back to try and make some money, I think, hurt them all. Even Vince, you know. And I think that that caused a lot of problems for so many years. And it took, really, until they did this Saints of Los Angeles album in 2008 for them to finally, you know, accept what happened and move on it took a long time and yeah. so this was a a pivotal period for motley Crue, and it really shows a band that's on the ropes and dying and trying to pick themselves back up and and really not being that successful at doing it
1: well it's a band that doesn't have anything else to say even though they not think the they time. do mm-hmm. and and you know kind of getting my wrap up on this brian Tons of experimentation and tampering lead to a very uneven record for these guys, mm-hmm. and that's Absolutely. being as fair as I can. Musicianship all over the place, uninspired. Where's Mick? Where's Tommy? Most of the time, mm-hmm. uh, again, it's it's you, you know you go into a restaurant, you think you know, and you order something, and you get something completely different. And you're like, what is what is this? It's not even remotely what I what I was looking for. And it's unfortunate too, because there's some gems, sort of hidden in this. But there's not a full album. There's maybe three really salvageable songs, and then just a bunch of waste of
0: time. So Generation Swine is is thrown to the swine, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, for me, I wrote that I I liked five of the tracks on the album. Five out of thirteen is not a good track record, uh, if you ask me. Um, And two of those are not strong likes. They're just like, I can deal with this song. Likes, right? Three of them I I strongly really like. I really like Afraid, I really like Beauty, and I really like Flush. The other two that I would give myself ability to listen to are Find Myself. I think that's okay. And probably Let Us Pray. Other than that, I can probably take the rest of it and throw it in the garbage and not... Really want to listen to it again, and I listened to this twice in prep for this review, Ooh. just so that I can make sure the notes that I wrote the first time are what I really felt about the songs, <laughs> um, <laughs> and they were, for the most part, they were pretty accurate. So that's where we stand for me. If I'm giving this a grade, this is a strong D minus. It's just oh, a, yeah. a flop, a failure. I, I not a lot that's salvageable here.
1: No, I, I'll go as far to say. That as much as we made fun of it and and had fun picking on it, the Vince Neil exposed album is way more listenable
0: than this. Oh, At yeah. least that sounds good. <laughs> I, I and I've said I like the Vince Neil exposed album quite a bit. So yeah, it's it, that's an easy one for me. But
1: but I think you'd agree with me. Neither of them hold a candle to that Motley Crue self titled record. That is something oh, yeah. that is is an A hidden in there that everybody's forgotten about, and they need to go back and revisit.
0: I completely 100% agree. I've said it from the beginning. I say it every time it comes up in conversations anywhere, YouTube, Facebook, wherever this comes up. That album is highly underrated, and anyone should go in and listen to it without the preconceived notion of a Vince Neil Motley Crue album, and I think they would really enjoy it. I really do. I think it's a phenomenal album, and it's right up there as one of my all-time favorites. So... I can't give it enough praise at all. It's just that it's that good. Agreed. So, all right. So there you have it guys. We have come to the end of our three-part series on the death, resurrection and reformation of Motley Crew. So much happened after the fact. I mean, just tons <laughs> of good and bad things happened to these guys <laughs> in the aftermath of what is this Generation Swine. Album and this really pivotal five year period in the band's history. I hope you've enjoyed our look at it. I had a great time revisiting some of this stuff and doing a lot of research on what was going on with the band, what happened behind the scenes of the album creation, and all that stuff. It was a lot of fun to just go back and put yourself there and also put myself back in that mindset back in the day because, like I said, i was a huge Karabi supporter in motley Crue, and when i heard vince was coming back it was just like this big blow to my gut that i didn't <laughs> expect to not so soon i think we all expected it eventually it would happen but mm-hmm. i was so looking forward to that personality number nine album and instead got this and was just like what are you doing you know yep <laughs> uh, and, and that's where it is so any final thoughts jay on the on the whole no, series I-
1: you know, man, it's been fun to revisit these and to kind of listen to them in sequence like this, and to go back. and It's given me an appreciation for a lot of Motley Crue stuff that I do like. You know, I've gone back to mm-hmm. some of the other albums. It's been fun talking about it with you as always, and I'm I'm looking forward to uh, doing some more tracks and talking about not Motley Crue uh, for a little bit <laughs> yes. for, uh, for a little while. I mean, I, I love it though, but because it's fun to go back and revisit a band that was such a big part of my growing up and musical taste and stuff, and to see where you know, it kind of went sideways and fell apart where they tried something really cool that nobody accepted. And then when they completely blew it <laughs> the next time, uh, you know, your, your heroes can do it a lot of different ways. And, uh, but it's yeah. been fun talking about it with you, man.
0: For sure. But for now, we're going to close the chapter on Motley Crue for tracks. And I think we had a lot of fun doing this, you know, look back at this, like I said, pivotal five-year period in Motley Crue's history and it was just a blast. Uh, also want to give a shout out, uh, if you haven't heard, you go check out Vince Neil's second album, Carved in Stone. It is way, way out there compared to some of the other stuff that he's done in his career. But there's some fun stuff on that album, I will say. There are some good tunes, but it's interesting. It's very interesting.
1: I'll have to give that one a listen, yeah.
0: That's about all I got for this. Uh, Thank you all so much for joining us on this journey. We had an absolute blast. And until next time, keep spinning, Vinyl Friends.